Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I introduced Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and I was explaining that for many people it's very difficult for them to understand what Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is talking about because Paul says a few things that most people just have no definition for. For example, when he says, it is not I who lives, well, there are many people who have no definition for what it means to live at all. I mean, what does that mean to live? So if he is going to say it is no longer I who live or I don't live in the way that I once did, well, what does that mean? Because there are many people who don't live. I mean, they just have no real foundational existence in their life. They just sort of get through it in some way. But if you were to ask them things like, well, how do you live? What does it mean to you to really live? For many people, there just simply is no answer to that question. So I began to introduce a few different definitions that could be applied. For example, there are many people who live only to maximize their pleasure and minimize their pain. That's one way that people live. And so if they were to say that they no longer live, but Christ lives in them, they could say that they no longer live for their own personal pleasure or reduce the amount of pain in their life, that they now live in a different way without concern, without any regard for their own personal self-interest. That's one way of looking at it. But you cannot define what it means for Christ to live within you. You cannot define a contrast without knowing what you're contrasting with. And so that's why I'm taking the time to talk about this subject of what does it mean to live, because it's a very important definition to establish. Now, in the context of Galatians chapter 2, I should mention that in the context of Galatians chapter 2, he's comparing the life under grace with the life under the law. The life under the law is easy to define. If you were to say that you live according to the law, then you just simply look at the law and the law tells you what you can do and what you can't do. It is the definition of what is good and evil, and so you live according to what is good and evil. But Paul says that there is a completely different way of life that has nothing to do with the law. He lives in a completely different way. Now, compared to how he lived before, he lived under the law before. He's writing to people who are struggling with the question of how do we now live if we are not going to live according to the law? Then what is that going to look like? Now, in the previous program, I introduced another way of defining life, and that was by talking about it as a problem-solving experience, that our life can be defined as a series of problems that we are faced with, that we live through, and that we solve. And one way that a person can solve the problems of life is to look to the law for the solutions to the challenges and the difficulties that we face in life. That's one way to approach it. 
I do not believe that that is what Paul was intending to say, but I want you to understand that it's very easy for people to take what I said in the previous program about problem-solving techniques, to take that and say, okay, well, I'm just simply going to have to determine what is the right thing to do when I'm faced with a certain problem and what is the wrong thing to do when I am faced with a certain problem, and I'll do the right thing, I won't do the wrong thing. And in that way, I can say that Christ lives in and through me, especially when I'm confronted with those problems of life for which the law does not directly address, the law does not give me a specific solution for that problem. So I will turn to the Holy Spirit in prayer, and eventually he will respond to me and he will tell me, what I should do, what the right thing to do is. Now, I do believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to us concerning the various problems in life, that he can give us direction, that he can tell us what to do, even in many cases. But to put it in the context of the law would require us to say that there would be a penalty for not doing what the Lord directed you to do, that he would hold it against you in some way, and at that point it would be you who are living, not Christ living in and through you. Because if you fail, then you are in a situation where your God is going to have something that he will hold against you, and then of course you've got to figure out some way to resolve this matter. That goes back to the idea of you are still living, living in the flesh according to the law. So I don't believe that that's what Paul was intending to say, and I'm certainly not intending to say that a person should solve the problems of life just by the discovery of what is good and evil and applying that in their lives. That is definitely not what I want to say, that there is a different way. There is a much better way. But distinguishing between the two ways of life, that's something that is very difficult to comprehend until after You have let go of forgiveness until after you have been set free from the law, until after you have been walking in the inheritance in Christ Jesus, until after that, until after you mature, you have to trust that God will do a work in your heart, and when he does, then you will be able to understand the difference between the Holy Spirit guiding and leading you personally, internally, to the extent where he is living his life within and through you, in comparison to living your life in the flesh. So I'm going to proceed in this program to talk about another way that a person can define what it means to say that I live. You have to define what it means to say I do live so that you can also define what you would mean if you were to say, as Paul said, it is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. So I'm going to proceed now and talk about the next way that a person can define what it means to live. This other way can be described as consumption versus production. This is one of many ways to talk about what it means to live. I'm going to focus on this for just a few minutes. That when we engage the world, when we wake up in the morning and we start our day, we need to find some way to be productive because eventually... We're going to need to consume. At some point, we are going to have to consume something. We are going to need food. We are going to need energy. We're going to need clothing. There's lots of things that we consume in our life existence. And if we are not productive, if we do not produce in order to consume, then somebody else is going to have to make up the difference or we are going to have some serious problems. 
So this is one way to define life, and that is that a person's production needs to exceed their consumption, otherwise someone else will have to make up the difference. Now, this production can be defined in many different ways. It can be as simple as helping somebody else be productive so that they can share with you part of what they were able to produce. It can be as simple as that, either by assisting them directly by doing things that they would have to do if you were not in their life, or simply by helping them rest more so that they can be more productive when they do engage in their work. There are many ways to describe productivity, many ways to do that. It is not Always, in fact, it's very unusual for it to actually be measured with money of some kind. It is normally measured in something much more real, much more tangible. And in some cases, it can be intangible. But if a person's consumption is greater than their production, then somebody has to make up the difference. Now, there are many ways to distort this way of life. This way of life that I have described can be very difficult to measure because during different times in history, during different times of governmental structures and social experiences, during different times there are distortions that can make it very difficult to identify and define. Let me give you an example. If you have a government who is taking from those who are productive and giving what those people produced to those who did not produce, then you have a distortion. You have a distortion to the extent that if you speak with those who are consuming more than what they produce, if you speak with them and ask them, so how do you live? They would say, well, my life is just about consumption and somebody else provides me with what I'm going to consume and so that's what my life is like. That's what it means to live. But if you were to speak with the people who are producing, they might say something different. They would say, to me, what it means to live is that I produce and then somebody else comes and takes part of what I produce and they leave me whatever they feel is appropriate for me to have. That that's what their life is, is about. They would look at life differently. So there are situations, either in a family or in a community or in a nation or a country, there are situations when there can be some distortions to the point where this idea of comparing production and consumption is very impractical. It's not going to be understood by the people who you speak to to say that that is how you live, that's what it means to live. It means that you just simply wait around for somebody to send you money in the mail or you wait around until somebody gives you something so that you can go and buy food with money that you didn't earn in some way, or if you want clothing, or if you want a phone, you know, stuff like that. These distortions make it very challenging for an individual to answer the question, what does it mean to live? I mean, what does it really mean? Does it really mean just simply finding somebody else who will give you everything that you need or that you want? Is, is that really what it means to live? I mean, if that is what it means to live, then... Why would you say it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? Why would you pursue that? I mean, that sounds like a pretty good way of life. If you don't have to do anything in order to obtain the food that you eat or the clothing that you wear or the heat for your home or the communication equipment so that you can talk to people who you like, if you don't have to do anything in order to enjoy those things, then why would you want to live differently? Why would you want Christ to live within and through you 
and no longer live in the way that you are. This is what I'm talking about, is that you must understand who you're speaking with. You must understand the definitions of terms. You have to get in touch with this, because if you don't, then you cannot see the distinction between living in the flesh or living in the spirit. There are two completely different ways of life. And unfortunately, because of the way that our societies tend to change over time, there are times when there are great distortions in our societies, in people's minds, to the extent where you can't speak with people about what it means to live. What does that mean? How would we live differently? And why? Another way that people define life is to pursue happiness. Now, I think it's a wonderful thing to pursue happiness. I really do. But this is a very deceptive way of life. A very deceptive way of life because, of course, first of all, the assumption is made. People assume that they will experience internal, personal, spiritual satisfaction in their being by pursuing something in this world. That happiness can be found in this world. This is a distortion of reality. This is a deception, but this is something that many people believe. They really believe that happiness can be achieved, and so that's what life is about. That's what life should be about. Let's pursue that. Now, if this is the case, then, of course, this can be very threatening to an individual to talk with them about Christ, to talk with them about a different way of life, because if their life is about pursuing happiness, and you say it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, then to them they might hear, it is no longer happiness that I live for, but I live for whatever Christ is about. And let's look at this word that says, I have been crucified with Christ here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So it's not about happiness, it's about being crucified? What, what kind of a life is that? These are the distortions that people have to get through, that they have to deal with. And when we make an assumption that life is about pursuing happiness, then this can lead to many assumptions and distortions that will prevent an individual from embracing what it means for Christ to live within and through them. One of the ways that people define this pursuit of happiness is to say that there are times in our life when we have to do things that we don't want to do. And there are times in our lives when we can do things that we do want to do. So let's put these two things on the scale. Let's make a scale and start at one end to say that those are the things that we do not want to do, and at the other end of the scale, there are things that we do want to do. And, of course, what we would like to try to do in our life experience is adjust our life in such a way that all that we do are those things that we want to do. And all of those things that we do not want to do, well, they are at the other end of the scale, and we eventually will find a way to escape any possibility of having to do something that we don't want to do. And then we will achieve happiness. That's how people live. To them, that's what it means to live. And so if you say it is no longer I who live, then this can be quite threatening to an individual, especially if they have found a way to accomplish this. Maybe they found a way to retire, for example, to the extent where they have a tremendous amount of wealth and they can just spend it and live off of it and enjoy what they have to the extent where they don't have to be productive anymore. They can just consume. 
and they can do whatever they want to do. They have achieved happiness. Now, I don't know about you, but I know a number of people who are in this kind of situation where they have an abundance of wealth and they do all that they want to do. But of those who I know, I don't know any who I would consider to be happy. Now, they might consider themselves to be happy, but but as I have spent time with them, as I have spoken with them, as I have enjoyed their friendship and their fellowship, I, I personally am not convinced that deep down in their spirit, in their being, they're happy. I don't see that. I personally don't. And to me, that is nothing more than a validation to what I believe, that our God created us in such a way that only He will provide us with happiness. Only through our relationship with Him will we experience the kind of happiness that He created us for. And He will never allow us to experience peace within us. There will always be some significant element of dissatisfaction in our being because He wants us to be unhappy. He wants us to be unsatisfied in the world, in the flesh, so that we will turn to Him for the peace and the rest that can only be experienced through a personal interactive relationship with Him. And so when an individual discovers this, then there will be an opportunity for them to see once again that this is not about I who live. It's not about you who live. It is about Christ who lives within and through you. That is what he has put us here for. He has not put us here in order to pursue this world in a way that he did not intend. Now, I say that very carefully. I do believe that he wants us to participate in this world, to be a part of this world, to enjoy this world. I just believe that he intended something different for us than what most people think that he intended for us. I believe that he intended something different. I'll try to talk about that a little bit later. People look for fulfillment in all kinds of different ways. You know, one of the ways that they do this is through the pursuit of immortality. They believe that life then becomes a matter of trying to stay alive. And they will do this by trying to live on in their children. That's one way that people try to accomplish that. They try to be immortal through their accomplishments, through their achievements that they make in this life. They believe that their achievements and accomplishments will be remembered And if people have a hard time with that, then they will try to build monuments that will last for an extended period of time. And so that through these monuments, these people might be able to live on in their lives. People look for purpose in their lives in the context of trying to find a cause, some kind of cause to live for in order to make a difference in the world that they are a part of. For many people, this is what it means to live when they try to escape the boundaries of just simply minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure. They look for causes. They look to make a difference. They look for opportunities in life to establish accomplishments and monuments so that they can perhaps live forever, so that they can make a claim in this world in such a way that they can change history and forever be immortalized. These are the kinds of things that people think of sometimes. Now, when it comes to religion or spirituality, I mentioned this in the previous program, when you talk about life or living in a religious or spiritual context, you really have to be careful with that because when you explore different religions, when you expose yourself to other people of different faiths, of different kinds of 
philosophies of different beliefs concerning spirituality or whatever, when you expose yourself to these individuals and you spend some time with these individuals, you have to be careful because you will discover that for the most part, they have this belief that one day they will live this way of life and they will have happiness and peace and purpose. They believe that and many people will go on for years and years They may spend their entire lives devoted to the pursuit of these things, never to accomplish them, never to achieve them. I introduced this in the previous program when I spoke about this verse to begin with, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that that people often look at this and they believe that this is sort of like the holy grail of the faith, that this is the end, this is the, the verse to quote. If you quote this, then miraculously Christ will live within and through you and you will no longer live. And victory will be achieved because you will no longer be living. That's how some people look at this. I've talked with people who have this kind of an attitude. But I do not believe, I just simply do not believe that this is the end. That a person just quotes this and then they squint their eyes in this special way and their mouth opens ever so slightly. You know, they just have this religious look about them as though they have just accomplished something by quoting this to you. But they have no idea what this means. They know that there is something there, and they never experience it. They never achieve it. The same thing within other religions and other pursuits of spirituality. People believe that there is something that they are going to obtain, something that they are going to achieve, but they never do. Now, when it comes to living, when it comes to living our lives, we must find a way to interact with this world. And the ways that I have spoken about living our lives, I believe that there are reasonable aspects to those definitions that I have provided. I didn't give you those definitions so that I could say, whatever you do, don't live that way, because if you do, then Christ is not living in and through you. That is definitely not what I intended to do when I gave you those definitions. These are ways of understanding the physical world that we are a part of. And without this understanding, I think it can be very challenging to really define what it means to live for ourselves as we are interacting with this world. The book of Proverbs, for example, is just about impossible to understand when people have all these distortions in their lives, especially when it comes to production versus consumption, when it comes to living for pleasure as opposed to living for pain, things like that. There are incredible distortions that keep people from understanding the world that they really are a part of. And what happens is, is that without that fundamental fleshly understanding, you're going to find it very difficult to comprehend the spiritual revelations that our God gives to us as he compares and contrasts the way things are in the world versus the way things are in the spirit, which he does quite often. So that is why it is important to spend time studying, examining, searching for understanding concerning the things of the world. Because without that, it can be just about impossible to understand the things of the Spirit. For example, in the world, if you do not work, you do not eat. But in the Spirit, in the Spirit, He gives to you all that you have a need for so that you can go out into the world and do the works that He gives you to do. There is a way to understand these things, and there is a way to compare the two so that we can relate to it in our limited ways that we can relate to the things of the Spirit. And so all of these things 
are very, very important to consider. Now, what I'd like to talk about next is the relationship that God had with Adam. That is what I would like to talk about next. The relationship that God had with Adam is something that we can look at, examine, and study that will give us some insights concerning the life that he has presented to us here in this world and also concerning the relationship that he has provided to us in Christ Jesus. There are some things that I can speak about by using the example that God gave us through his relationship with Adam. Now, of course, there is a lot that can be said. There is an abundance of things that can be said concerning the relationship that God had with Adam and how we can relate to it today. There's a lot that can be said. Let me just give you one simple example. When God said to Adam that he would have to go out of the garden, God effectively kicked him out of the garden and told him that he needed to plow the field and pull up the weeds and work to the extent that he would sweat. When he did that, One of the ways you could consider this is to consider that God did not tell Adam to go out and find himself another God. Go out and find himself a God who could provide him with a garden so that he could go into that garden and eat. He didn't tell Adam to go find a king. Go find some other person who will provide him with the food that he needs to eat and the clothing that he's going to want to wear. He didn't tell Adam to live that way. He said, you go out and make your own garden. I made a garden for you, and you got to enjoy it for a while until you ate from a tree that I told you not to eat from. So you go out and make your own garden. You go out and make your own way. And in many ways, you could say that God just left him alone, sent him out there to do it all on his own. But that is not what God did. God still went with Adam. Adam planted the seeds in order to grow the food that he needed to eat, but God was still with him. He made the plants grow. So there's a lot to be said about this. I will talk about this more in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.